You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It's not one-sided, right? So therefore, you have to agree to enter into a relationship with the covenant God. It's sort of like a mutual kind of a relationship where you speak to God, God speaks to you. So how important it is that you resolve and settle this issue. If he's never called your name, if he's never led you out of your old life into the experience of being one of his flock, Well, that's where you need to start. Oftentimes, people will try out Christianity and end up giving it up quickly because they don't hear God's voice. But what if you thought about it like a conversation? Would you keep talking to someone who didn't talk back? It would be better described as talking at someone rather than talking with them. In today's message, Pastor Mike asks the same question about your relationship with God. Do you let God speak with you, or are you expecting Him to just talk at you while you don't talk back? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 46. As he continues his message, he knows my name. You know, Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on this particular book of the Bible, and in this section of the Bible here in chapter 46, suggests four possible causes for Jacob's apprehension or alarm. The first of which was that Jacob simply was old. At this time, Jacob is 130 years old. His kids are actually carrying him from one place to another kind of give you an idea of how old Jacob was. And listen, when you're that old, we can only imagine, I don't think there's anyone here that's 130 years old, uh, a change of life is difficult. You know, when you get up there, when you get kind of like my age even, you know, you kind of are settled in. You're just kind of set in your ways. When you're young, life is an adventure. You know, my poor kids, when we were young, my wife and I, we used to drag them all over the place. The poor kids, they were everywhere. And uh, Jeremy was born in Alaska. Mike was born in Hawaii. Jesse and Jordan were born in New York. And uh, Elijah was born in another part of Alaska, in in Juneau. But we dragged them all over the place. I mean, after we got married, I met my wife in New Mexico. From New Mexico, we went back to New York. From New York, we went to Colorado. Then we went from Colorado to Wyoming. 
landing jobs in all of these locations. Our kids used to refer to us as road hippies. That's the way my kids used to refer. I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating either. Talk to them. They'll, they'll tell you. Because when you're young, you know, you're just willing to take on everything as some new adventure. It's all exciting, you know. I don't think our brains are fully formed yet, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, there's no apprehension, you know, whatsoever. It's exciting. But when you're old, you're in the comfort zone. You know what I mean? And it's hard uh, breaking from the past. It's hard breaking from tradition. You've heard the saying, you can't teach a dog new tricks. Well, rough, rough. Here I am. <laughs> or bark, bark, or whatever. So the first reason why uh, Jacob may have been a little apprehensive about going down to Egypt was simply he was old. Secondly, Egypt was a pagan country. There were so many false gods. In fact, the Egyptians deified just about everything in creation. The most prominent god within Egypt was the god Ra, who they suggested was embodied in the person of Pharaoh. They actually thought of Pharaoh as a god. There were so many false gods and false influences. And think about that, how that might affect Jacob and his family. You know, in the book of Romans, and I, I wonder if Paul was thinking about this when he wrote in Romans chapter 1, in verses 23 through 25, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to the uncleanness and the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Jacob must have known enough to fear that that kind of an environment down there in Egypt, that it might have some kind of detrimental effect on his family. I mean, it was hard enough to keep his family close to God as it was. We've learned some lessons about these brothers of Joseph. And uh, these were hardened men, callous men, when their sister Dinah had been raped. And so the boys went down into Shechem and they killed every last one of the male population of that city. They were calloused, hardened individuals. They sold their youngest brothers into slavery, Joseph. So Jacob was in sort of a quandary here. He knew exactly how hard it was to keep his family close to God without even bringing them to Egypt and them having that kind of influence over them. So that was probably the second reason why he was a little fearful about going down to Egypt. Thirdly, Egypt had past bad memories for Jacob. Remember, his grandfather, the patriarch, Abraham, had told Jacob about his temptations and his failures when he himself was down in Egypt. It was certainly a low point in Abraham's life. And so thus, Jacob had bad memories concerning uh, the other members of his family about uh, Egypt. Another possible explanation why Jacob might have been apprehensive. 
he had been warned about future evils. You say, what am I talking about? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, in verse 13, God, in a very in-your-face kind of a way, lets Abraham know that he is going to lead his people down to Egypt, and ultimately they're going to be there in bondage for 400 years. I mean, that would have kept Jacob, I'm sure. Okay, so all of these are possible, plausible explanations of why Jacob might have been a little cautious or anxious or apprehensive about going down to Egypt. And we can probably relate to some of these examples. You know, the fear that can come before change in our own life's experience. You know, think about that. Think about what's going on right now in your own life or maybe some situation that you've already gone through. Now, some practical advice. If you ever come up against this sort of thing and you're at a crisis situation, what should we do when it seems like God is acting providentially in our lives? We're faced with some kind of prospect of change. You're a believer now, and you're thinking, you know, is this you, God, speaking to me? Am I supposed to move to the West Coast? Am I supposed to take this new job? Have I received the green light to get involved in this relationship with this person? Or whatever, you fill in the blank, whatever, whatever it might be. You know, something that might be some alter your life uh, in a, a profound kind of a, a way. But you think, because you're a child of God, that this is God working, that this is God moving, that this is God providentially doing this thing within your life. But here's the problem. We're not always sure about that. You know, so what do we do in that kind of a situation? With Jacob, it was sending him to Egypt to preserve his family which is exactly what God wanted him to do. Everything leading up to that, his son being sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers on the slave block, Potiphar's house, accused of raping Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison, meeting the Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer, interpreting their dreams. Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer who's been restored to his position is, reminds Pharaoh of this guy who interprets dreams while he was in prison. He's summoned for, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, two seven-year periods, one of plenty followed by the seven years of famine. Joseph counsels him during the seven years of plenty to store up food so that you'll have enough food, not only for Egypt, but for all other nations. They'll come down, you'll make a fortune on selling the plenty that you've stored during the seven years of famine. And thus, Joseph is elevated to second only to Pharaoh himself. He's now become the prime minister. His brothers go down to Egypt to buy food so that they might be sustained. Otherwise, they would have perished during the famine. It's just, you know, the hand of God. God's working behind the scenes, orchestrating all of the details, pushing all of the buttons, pulling all of the strings. Do you see that? So... With Jacob, it was sending him to Egypt to preserve his family. Okay, so he's in Bathsheba. God, is this you? Am I supposed to go? I, I've never been there before. I don't know what I'm going to come up against. You know, I don't know what I'm going to have to face. Okay, so let's bring this down to you and to me. We're confronted with change. Maybe it's not as, you know, profound 
as was Jacob's situation. But we think God is leading us, you know, to take the new job, to move to a new location, to get involved in that relationship with someone. But we're not quite sure. Well, how about this? How about just simply pausing and through prayer, asking him, God, is that you? Folks, let me tell you something. It's just as simple as that. Our relationship with God is so simple. Rather than going off in the wrong direction and wasting our time, for some of us, making the wrong choice, making the wrong decision, not allowing God to be a part of the equation, we waste years of our life going in the wrong direction. Really. And doing things that we thought may have been God's leading, but wasn't God at all. Notice here in verse 1, and you got to hand it to Jacob, right? He's faced with this dilemma, but what do we discover Jacob doing right from the very get-go in verse 1? Jacob is worshiping. Jacob is seeking God. Before he continues on his journey, he stops at the southernmost part of Israel, right? Before he launches out into the desert and then beyond the expanse of the desert, the nation of Egypt, he's seeking God. He's seeking God's guidance before taking that next step. And thus, then notice the word of God came. And what did God say? Hey, Jacob, don't be afraid. This is me. I'm in all of this. This is my leading. You know, in times of great perplexity, we wonder if God will hear us when we pray, when we're hurting. But the truth of the matter is, he's more eager to answer than we are to ask. He's more eager to lead than we are to follow. And thus God spoke to Jacob, and he said, Jacob, and I'm paraphrasing here, Jacob, you're on the right track. I'm going to bless you, even in that distant land. Now, God's word falls into several parts. God's word falls into several parts. The first thing that I want to uh, emphasize here was that, and we've already touched on this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but God called Jacob by his name. Now, what does that infer? Well, that is, he knew him. You see, God was Jacob's personal God. Now, how important is this? <laughs> Think about it. Which should raise the question in our own minds and hearts, is God your God? Do you know God personally? A most important question. You know, if you don't know God, don't expect him to speak to you. If you haven't made that choice, if you haven't made that decision, don't expect God to speak to you. You know, it's interesting here, and throughout the Old Testament, Jehovah is referred to as the God of the covenant. Have you noticed that? And how many people does it take to have a covenant? Two people. It's not one-sided, right? So therefore, you have to agree to enter into a relationship with the covenant God. It's sort of like a mutual kind of a relationship where you speak to God, God speaks to you. So how important it is that you resolve and settle this issue. If he's never called your name, if he's never led you out of your old life into the experience of being one of his flock, well, that's where you need to start. That's the starting place. 
Listen, gang, don't take another step in your life's experience until this personal relationship issue is settled. And here's the question that you have to ask yourself. Is Jesus your shepherd? Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Savior? Because it's only through him whereby we can come to God. Jesus himself, no one comes unto the Father except through or by me. Now, another thing that I want to draw your attention to. So he called him by name. Jacob knew him as his personal God. Do you know God as your personal God? The second thing that I want to draw your attention to is that God reaffirms his covenant promise with Jacob. Notice, let's go back to our text in verse 3. He says, I will make of thee a great nation. And this was the same promise that he made to his grandfather, Abraham, the same promise that he made to his father, Isaac, both of whom God led in utter faithfulness. Hey, listen, when God promises you something, you can be sure. It's like money in the bank. You can be sure of it. God's going to come through for you. I mean, think about Abraham and Isaac. He preserved them, that is, God preserved them throughout all of and any natural disaster that they ever came up against, through any external threats from any enemies that attacked them. God was faithful. God was with them in every step. And thus, we have this wonderful track record to to appeal back to. And this should strengthen us for whatever lies ahead. Because you see, what God did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can be sure he will also do for you. God had a promise for Jacob there in verse 3. What was it? I will make of you a great nation there. Now, let me ask you this question. Has God made special promises to you in your particular time of crisis? You know, if nothing else, how about God working in us through that crisis to build a people to the praise of the glory of his grace? If for nothing else, I mean, you might be going through something God's promised you, hey, you're going to get through that. Or maybe you're a single person and you're wondering about You know, am I going to be single forever? I'm going to have to live my life forever alone. But you know that there was a time when God spoke to you and he says, no, I'm going to bring that person. You just wait. The timing isn't right. When the timing is right, I'm going to move that person into your life. Or you're going to get that job. Or you're going to be able to purchase that home. Or whatever. You're going to have a child. God's going to open your womb, even as he opened Hannah's womb in 1 Samuel, right? Listen, all fear is dispelled when we see ourselves as a part of God's plan, when we know that we have a part in that plan of God. You know what it's called? What, what was the, remember the, the title? Was it last week's message? I even forgot. Or was it the week before? The bigger picture? Was that last week? Yeah. You see, that was the bigger picture. All of what I shared about Joseph's betrayal and and uh, the brothers and, you know, the whole unusual series of circumstances, Joseph saw it what he was going through as a part of the bigger picture. We need to see ourselves in and a part of God's plan, the bigger picture. But then there's a third thing that I want to draw your attention to before we close out this morning's message, and that is God promised to go with Jacob down to Egypt. Because notice in verse 4, I will go down with you to Egypt. Now, 
Let me ask you this question. In spite of what God had promised them, that God was going to be with them every step of the way, was Egypt still a frightening place to have before him? What do you think the answer to that question would have been? Yes, because it was the fear of the unknown. He'd never been down there before. Was there the danger of spiritual decay and even physical enslavement? Yes, true. But what a difference when the God of the covenant says, I will go with you. I'll bless you and I'll bring you home again. Notice in verses 5 through 7. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt, Jacob and all of his descendants with him, his sons and his sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him down to Egypt. Now it's total obedience. You see, Jacob is all in now. He's locked in. Lock, stock, and barrel. And so you may be on the verge of a major change, some decision, some life's crisis, and you're uncertain. And you'd even go as far as saying you're fearful. If so, listen, don't take another step until you seek God and ask him simply for the directions. And if he's silent, what are you supposed to do? If it's a red light, what are you supposed to do? Just stay there. Don't do anything. Be still. Remain where you are. It becomes, The burden falls upon him, you see. Again, it's one of the perks about being a child of God. Listen, if my kids... You know, they don't do this anymore because they're a lot smarter than me now. They're all grown up and adults. But when my kids would come to me when they were young, you know, they'd crawl up into my lap and they'd ask me questions about should they do this, that, maybe things pertaining to school, things pertaining to sports, uh, whatever. You know, they, they look to me to counsel. And I love my children and your heavenly father loves you more than ever I could possibly love any of my kids because his love is eternal, right? Without any limitations, certainly I wouldn't have given my children the wrong counsel, you know? I would have just told them like it is. No, no, don't go. You know, stop. You got a red light. Don't go on. Maybe for the future, but not right now, you know? So you can just bank on that. You can be sure that God will speak to you. But if he's silent, be still. Remain where you are. But if he speaks, gang, go forth if he speaks. And go forth boldly and fear nothing. Remember, he will not only be with you down in Egypt, but as Jesus said, he would be with you to the uttermost parts of the earth. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my when you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. 
When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.